Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, well, go ahead and turn to the book of James or use your mobile telephone and scroll to James chapter 5 if you're super into it and tech savvy. Uh, are we recording, David? Are we all set? You are the man. We are in the book of James, and, and believe it or not, guys, next week is the last time that you're going to be able to see that video unless you look it up on YouTube um, because we'll be done. Next week is our last week in the book of James. We started it like back in July, uh, I guess back in June, actually, and we're going into September, so you guys have been wonderful. Um, but tonight we're going through James. We're only doing six verses, okay? James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. They should be up on the board for you as well. And the way it'll work, I guess, let's, let's read them. Um, well, I'll read them, and then you just kind of follow along, and then we'll, we'll walk through some stuff, okay? So we're in James chapter 5, verse 1. Here we go. Come now, you who are rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Next verse. There we go. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you, cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. All right, another pump-up, feel-good word from James. Um, here, here's what this means, okay? Um, James begins, so, so as you can see, even in your Bible, James is only five chapters, right? He, and we've started the fifth chapter. James is kind of starting to close his letter. Here's the falling action, grammar majors, right? He's bringing it to a close, okay? And he begins to close his letter by addressing wealthy landowners and businessmen. But he really starts in chapter 4, all right? So we need to look at this because there's two different rich people that he's talking to. So, and it, it'll be on the board as well. And Lauren, I'm sorry I'm springing it on you, but she's, gonna, she's a gamer. She's going to be great. James 4.13, all right? James 4.13 is where we'll be, all right? And, and I want to show you this group of rich people and then how he talks to a very different group of rich people, all right? So here we go. James 4.13, we're going to go a verse at a time. Um, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. So James is, is talking to this group of rich people and he says, come now. And he talks to me and he says, there's a problem. And the problem is they arrogantly make their own plans. We talked about this last week. There's no regard for God in their plans. All right, And then we get into 14. So look at 14. Um, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. James, he sees their problem. You're not including God in your plans. Then he begins to engage with them, right? He tells them in 14. He reminds them and us that we are not in control of our destiny, right? Um, we need to remember that our days are numbered on earth, which means we are on a limited time here. So he tells him, he says, you make all these plans, but you have, you've forgotten that your life is like, is like the breath that you see on a cold day that's there and then it disappears. It's a vapor. And then he gets into 15. Look at 15. Instead, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wills, 
we will do this or that. So look, so James sees this group of rich people. He sees the problem. They're not including the Lord in their plans. He says, listen, you've forgotten that you're just a vapor that's here today and gone tomorrow. And then in 15, he's coming alongside and he's trying to correct them. He's saying, before you make your plans, before we make our plans, we need to remind ourselves that the Lord is in control of our days. We need to make sure that our plans are in step with what the Lord... It says, if the Lord wills, then we'll do these things. You need to be sure... So here's what James is doing. James is trying to help this group of wealthy business people get their mind right, get their heart right, and focus on God. This is a form of love, right? When you step in and try to correct and help someone who's going down the wrong path. That's what James is doing. He's stepping in in love. He's saying, this is what you're doing wrong, verse 13, and then 14 and 15. Let me help you with this. James does not try to do that with this new group of wealthy people. He doesn't try to step in and engage. He doesn't try to step in and help them at all. In this text, there is no engagement with them. He's not lovingly offering a better way like he did in the previous paragraph. One commentary says, it feels like in this text, it feels like in the Old Testament when the prophets would condemn Israel. James is being very harsh in this new text with this new group, and he's offering no help. Let's find out why. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4 in your Bibles. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed or cut your fields, I don't, you know, you don't picture like the, right, who mowed your fields, and which has been withheld by you, cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. And we'll talk about that. These are wealthy landowners. They've got people who do their grass for them. They do people, and it's not just lawn maintenance. This is a huge block of land. They've got people who harvest for them. That's who we're talking about. These wealthy landowners and the people who work for them. Okay? But the problem is not that they're wealthy. Okay? Although James will speak to that. The problem is not that they're wealthy. Okay? The problem is how they use their wealth. Let's look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Okay? So he starts out very dark and very... Here's what it means. Weep and howl, right? And, and I don't know what it says in your version, but it's probably to cry and wail. You may want to circle those. Those words are only used in the Old Testament when the prophets were calling out a punishment from God. That's the context in which these two words would be weeping and howl or cry and wail. Those two words are only used in the Old Testament when the prophets are calling down judgment and punishment from God. It's kind of an Old Testament judgment day for them. That's what they're being warned about when those words are used in the Old Testament. So when James uses them in the New Testament, he's using language to show this group of wealthy people that a judgment day is coming for them. Because they'd hear these words and they'd think, this is judgment day for Israel. And James is saying, exactly. That's what's happening to you. Or he's trying to tell his readers that the selfish, wealthy people they know are about to be in huge trouble. Now, again, James is not saying that it's bad to be rich. 
King David was wealthy. Abraham was wealthy. Joseph was wealthy. But the Bible, but in the Bible, okay, in the Bible, the rich are often associated with abusing their wealth. God's early laws to Moses were full of commands to care for the poor, though they were often ignored by the rich. In the prophets, the word rich almost becomes synonymous with the word sinful because so many wealthy members of society abused the poor or took advantage of them. This is a particularly big problem in the book of Amos. Just keep that in mind. In, so into the New Testament, in Luke's gospel, the poor are constantly mentioned as coming to repentance and faith, whereas the rich don't see any need to change their ways. In Revelation 18, so we've gone through the whole Bible, in Revelation 18, there's a long section telling those who have given their lives over to wealth to weep and mourn because their city is being destroyed. So the teachings of the apostles, the teaching of the New Testament, constantly remind us to take care of the poor, um, to think of the poor. Listen to what Matt Chandler says. Your wallet is a gracious gift from God to help you understand what's actually going on inside of your heart. To help you understand what's going on inside of your heart. And he says, one of the biggest windows into your heart is your wallet. You want to know how you're doing? How much do you trust the Lord with what's going on in your wallet? And when Matt Chandler preached that, he's preaching in James 5, 1 through 6. Now again, James is not saying it's a sin to be wealthy. He's not saying that. He is bashing the sinful, selfish abuse of wealth here. But listen to this commentary, okay? Ooh, right? All right, a commentary is a book that you, everyone should have. And basically, you've got your Bible. Raise your hand if you've ever read the Bible and you've thought, what does this mean? Raise your hand. Yeah, that should pretty much be everybody, I think, unless you haven't read it, which I'm glad you're here. But I'm glad those of you who have read it are here too. You get it. All right, commentary helps clear that up. A commentary takes verse whatever. This is verse 15, and it's got a whole big long paragraph about what's going on in verse 15 of chapter 2. That's what a commentary does. Listen to what this commentary says in terms of James chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. Here we go. Listen. On the other hand, we cannot avoid the serious reminder about money and possessions that we have in this text. One of the sins for which God condemns these people is their selfish accumulation of money and things. Here we go. In the Western world, that's modern day America, in the Western world where getting things and wealth is not only condoned but admired, we Christians need to come to grips with this point in James and ask ourselves seriously, when do we have too much? So it's not a sin to be wealthy, but, he, but you, you just clash with James here, and he says, you have to ask yourself, when do you have too much? Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume you and your flesh like fire. Gold and silver don't rust. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Stored up, in your version, may I say you have hoarded wealth, Okay, like the people who just keep stuff in their garage because whatever. Luke chapter 12, you don't have to turn there. Luke chapter 12, a man wants to store up, store up more and more wealth, and then he dies. And Jesus says to him, there's no hope for you because you put all your hope in things, and I require your soul. 
And these things won't help you here. And that's what James is saying here. This is not a bash against having a savings account. This is not a bash against good financial planning and stewardship. But to store up here is this idea, picture selfishly bringing in more and more until it gets, gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it's overinflated to where it's useless. You're storing up. You just keep getting more and more and more and more and more because it will long past your need and really long past your want, you continue to build. And look at verse 3 again. In the last days you have stored up your treasure. The last days is, is this idea of the days leading up to judgment day when God will judge not our material wealth, but our spiritual wealth. James is saying, these are the last days. This is the period of time when spiritual health is what matters most and you're storing up all this earthly wealth that you can't keep. This will do you no good. That's what he says. You're storing up treasures for yourself, earthly treasures, in the last days. In the days where earthly treasures are going to matter. Every day, earthly treasures are going to matter less and less and yet you're trying to get more and more and more. Verse 3 again, your gold and silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and consume you. Mine's, some say corroded maybe. Gold and silver are metals that cannot rust. So what is James saying when he says your gold and silver have rusted? He's saying they might as well be rusted spiritually. They are already of no value to you spiritually. Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Remember, the gold is already rusted. The riches you possess, past tense, have already gone rotten. Your clothes are already moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have already rusted, even as you put them in your pocket on your way to spend it. Here's what James is saying. As soon, and I hate to break it to you, as soon as you buy something, it begins its journey to goodwill. Okay? As soon as you buy it, even if you bought it, bought it from goodwill, cool, you get it, right? As soon as you buy something, it begins its journey to goodwill. As soon as, as, soon as you walk out of the store with this new thing, the clock starts counting down the days until it's not new anymore. It's already starting to rot and rust away. You understand what I'm saying? It's already, you can't even see it, but it's already starting to rot and rust away. And James is saying, you have selfishly stored these things up, keeping them selfishly for yourselves. And again, listen, you're supposed to own things. I don't want you to go to your mom on Christmas Day and be like, oh, Mom, James chapter 5, I don't want, like, I don't want you to do that. James is not saying you need to, and James is not saying you need to give everything away. But the point is selfishness here. Selfishness here. Look at verse 2. We're going to read 2 and then we're going to read 3. Look at 2. Your riches have rotted. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. All right, verse 3. Sorry, 3. Your gold and your silver have rusted. Look at the bottom. In the last days you have stored up your treasure. In verse 2, this word for riches, you may want to circle it. In verse 3, this word for treasure. These words are not directly tied 
to money or clothing or land. They can be in relation to anything. So it can't be a specific thing that's the problem. Because when he says riches, he's not thinking of one specific thing. Your money is the problem. Your land is the problem. He's not talking about that. James is saying whatever your treasure is, the problem is that you're being selfish with it and corrupt with it. And in the end, all these possessions are just going to testify to how selfish you were, how deceitful you were in getting them. That's what, look at verse 3. In verse 3 it says, Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you. In a courtroom, a witness against you is the one who's saying all the things that make you look bad. And James is saying this wealth that you've accumulated selfishly, deceitfully, on the last day, it will be the witness in the courtroom of God to how selfish you were being. You may want to write down, and I know you're in Ezekiel all the time, Ezekiel 7.19. Ezekiel 7.19 is talking about the judgment day of Israel. It's talking about the judgment day of Israel. This is what it says. Think about what we just talked about in this money. They will throw their gold and silver in the streets. It will be an unclean thing. That's Ezekiel 7, 19. They're going to on the day of judgment, they're going to take all their money and they're just going to throw it away in the road. It doesn't mean that they're going to be ashamed of saving their money. It doesn't mean that, that they're being ashamed of being good financial stewards. But this gold for them is, is a symbol of how selfish they've been. It's like blood money. And they want to get rid of it so as a way to, to wash their hands of it. You see? And now that God is back, they don't want him to think that they want him to think that they've been generous. So they're throwing their money away. They don't want to be caught with it. This thing they spent their whole lives trying to get is now bad for them when God comes back. It's a sign of their selfishness. All right, look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. Now we get into All right, so they they they're selfishly owning things. Now let's watch how this shows itself. Here we go. Behold, the pay of the laborers, so, so workers get paid, the pay of the laborers who cut your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. Okay. All right, here we go. Now we see what they're really doing. The selfishness inside shows itself outside. These wealthy people withheld pay from their workers. They cheated them. They made them work and then they didn't pay them or they didn't pay them enough so that they can selfishly keep that money. Leviticus, again, you may want to write some stuff down here. Leviticus 19.13. Okay? Leviticus 19.13. You shall not withhold. So that's what he's doing. He's withholding pay. You shall not withhold from your neighbor or rob him. You should not withhold money from your neighbor if you owe or rob him. In the, don't miss this. In the Old Testament, it equates withholding money from a worker to stealing from them. It's the same thing. It also says, do not keep their pay all night until morning. Why would you, what is, that's the, why would you do that? They expected to be paid at the end of each workday so that they could provide daily food for their families. You remember the, when Jesus tells the story of the workers in the vineyard and some of them get there just before the end of the day and then they all get paid? They get paid at the end of the day. 
because they expected this at the end of every day so that they could provide daily food for their family. That's how poor these people are, that they need money every single day. They don't have enough to save. So if they don't get money on Tuesday, there's no food on Tuesday because there's no money left over from Monday. You see what I'm saying? And these are the people who are being abused that James is aware of, and he says that God is furious about it. Look at verse 4 again. Look at verse 4 again. Let's see. The pay of the laborers who mowed your fields, which has been withheld from you, cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Savoth. The pay that you withheld cries out against you. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain kills Abel, right? And he never told anyone. We have no reason to think that anyone else was around. And yet God tells Cain, the blood of your brother is what? Is screaming out to me from the ground. In the same way here, this money that, they, that has been withheld is crying out to the Lord for justice to be done. James is saying the money that you withheld Nobody knows about the poor. I mean, they're poor. No one's going to believe them. James is saying that lie that you've committed, that deception is screaming out to God. It is not hidden from Him. All right, look up. And in the same way, none of our sins are secret. None of our gossip, none of our lust stays hidden. In fact, it's just the opposite. It is screaming out to God that we have to pay for our own sins. But thank God we have Jesus who took our place or we would end up like these people whose sins scream out against them. Now let's talk about this word at the end of 4. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord. A B is a V in Hebrew, just trust me on this, of the Lord of Savaoth, all right? You've ever heard, if you're in high church, the Lord of hosts, okay? Savaoth is Hebrew. It means armies, the Lord of armies. Now, now, think about the picture James is trying to paint. If I came up to you and I was like, you know, if James said the cries of the people that you've cheated, they have reached the ears of the Lord of pillows and candy canes. Like, well... Thanks, I appreciate it. Like, that's not the most like, you know, you're not going to be like trembling. Does that make sense? Like, that's not the picture that he's going to give out, right? But instead, he said, now follow this. He says, the cries of the people that you have cheated, the cries of the people that you have wronged, they have reached the ears of the Lord of armies. That's what Savaoth means. It means the Lord of armies, the Lord of the military has heard how you've wronged these people. This isn't the Father of heavenly lights anymore from James chapter 1. This is the Lord of armies. Again, there's no hope for these people. James is crying out to them in judgment. James says, The Lord of armies has heard these people screaming out that you've wronged them. He has heard your sins screaming out. Again, there's no hope. Now, here's the thing. This is probably not the people reading this letter, okay? The people reading this letter are Jewish Christians who are probably very poor, 
probably very outcast from society, and the rich are taking advantage of them. So why would James spend a section talking to them about how these, these terrible people are going to pay? It's James's way of reassuring the church, reassuring us, don't worry. God sees these people who cheat you and take comfort in knowing that God is angry with them. God is holy. He will judge them. It's so, we talked about this when we said slow to speak in James chapter 1. It's so hard. Listen, look at me. It's so hard to trust that this is true. That God is furious with the people who wrong you. That God is furious with the people who treat you poorly. God is furious, burning anger at those people. And the more you can begin to trust that, the more you can begin to see that the Lord will tear out His wrath on people who are evil towards you, the more you can begin to let go of that anger that's hurting your heart. Does that make sense? The more you can trust that He's upset, the more you can learn to release that anger. Look at verse 5. Verse 5, you have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. This word for live luxuriously is not always bad. It can mean comfortable or living in a healthy way. There's nothing wrong with that. But the second word, living a life of pleasure on earth, this phrase is almost always used. Here we go. This phrase is almost always used to describe people who live only for what is on earth and they ignore the poor. So it's not that you enjoyed your life. It's not a bad thing. It's that you enjoyed your life in a self-centered way, ignoring the poor. And he says, and he says they have lived luxuriously on earth. Well, duh. They've lived luxuriously on earth is James's way of suggesting that they are almost done with their time on earth. God is waiting for them either to welcome them or to judge these people. You have fattened your heart in the day of slaughter. Fattened your heart. Cholesterol is not the means here. Okay, You've fattened your heart in the day of slaughter. It's this idea of, he's saying, you've kept these workers' payment from them so that you could enjoy it. You've stolen from them. You're leaving he and his family starving because you didn't pay him. All so that you could enjoy yourself. You didn't care what it cost other people. And this wealth that you thought was your ticket to the good life, this wealth that you have selfishly consumed every day, the way you fatten a calf before it's killed, you have filled yourself up with guilt before God's judgment. You have filled your heart with guilt, poured it on. Last verse, verse 6. You have condemned and put to death. Now think about this. These guys are stealing money, not paying people. And what does he say? You have put to death the righteous man, and he does not resist you. This is James's way of saying, the death of the poor may not have been your actions, but your selfishness and your abuse is what brought about their death. You took away his chance at life by not paying him enough. His loss screams out to God. His blood is on your hands. And then the last part, it says, he does not resist you. It seems to suggest, James is saying, these poor people, literally poor, 
have no resource for challenging or resisting these corrupt rich people. He can't take them to court. No one believes him. No one sees him. But God sees how they're being mistreated. And God is furious. So, what does this have to do with you? Okay, there is a book um, called the Didache. Oh, Didache is Greek for teaching. This is a book written by the apostles, by the disciples, but the words in the book weren't put into canon. They weren't put into scripture. It was just common sayings about the, what the disciples said to people. Follow me? Does that make sense? Not going to be a quiz. So it's this idea, and almost every page talks about how we treat the poor. Every single page talks about it. It was assumed in ancient Christianity that to be a Christian was taking care of the poor did not make you a Christian. In no way is that the message of James. By Jesus Christ alone are we made Christians. But one of the evidences of that is how we handle our wealth, how we handle our treasures. Three ways that we apply this. Three ways, and then we're finished. Number one, listen, God hears the voiceless. Whether they are abused by a system, or a family member, or taken from the womb, God knows and God hears. He hears those who cannot defend themselves. He hears those who do not have a voice. And He is angry when they are abused. He is angry when they are taken advantage of. I think sometimes it's easy for us to feel like nobody really gets me. And according to the Bible, that's actually true. Nobody gets you all the way down, except one. Except the one who made you. God hears the voiceless. Number two, let me back up. God hears the voiceless. Another thing, too, is when we pray and we don't know how to get out what we're praying, Romans tells us the Holy Spirit tells, translates that to God. Number two, we are called to hold our valuables loosely. So you still hold them, but you hold them loosely. Remember verse two and three. Riches can mean anything. Treasure can mean anything. It can mean our time, our money, our popularity, our ability to befriend other people. Let me ask you, and it's rhetorical, so don't, what is your treasure? We hold our treasures loosely. You enjoy them. But if you were asked to give them, could you? Would you give them? He is not telling us to feel bad for having things. He is not telling us to give everything away. Don't listen to people who teach that. He's not asking us to do that. He's not asking you to give everything away. But the question is, are you willing to give if asked? And last one, number three. Jesus gave his life for the wealthy, Nicodemus, and for the poor, woman at the well. John chapter 3, Nicodemus, wealthy, Sadducee, no, he's on the Sanhedrin, well-respected, loads of money, two camel garage, the whole shebang, right? And then in chapter 4, woo, almost did that. In chapter 4 of John, you've got the woman at the well who's abused, sinful in her own right, poor, and Jesus saves both of them by the end of the book of John. 
Jesus died for the poor and the rich. And think about it. Jesus was rich and became poor for us. This should not make us love being poor. It should make us willing to give. No matter what level economically you're on. And remember, this isn't just about wealth. This is about giving your time. Or maybe, you, maybe you're one of these people, one of these super cool kids who just has the ability to talk to anybody. Do you spend that, listen, do you spend that gift just on talking to people that you want to talk to? Or do you spend some of that gift talking to someone that doesn't get you higher up the ladder? Does that make sense? Your time. I'm not asking you to go volunteer every Saturday. It's not the worst idea. But is, is there, when we have free time, do we just spend it filling up, filling up, filling up, filling up, filling up? And some of that's good. You need to go to Dairy Queen and get you a blizzard. You need to do that, right? But do you all, listen, listen, but do you also spend some of that time helping out your family or doing or watching something that maybe someone else in your family wants to watch but you don't want to watch? Do you, do you spend, you see what I'm saying? Or are you, no, this is my time, this is my free time, I'm doing what I want to do. Is that where you're holding it? How are you holding that time? Are you holding it loosely? Obviously, money. We have never talked about money. Shame on me, right? We need to. Because what you learn now, what's modeled for you now, is what's going to affect you once you do have some money to spend. Tithing is huge. Understanding that it doesn't belong to you is huge. How do we spend our money? How do we spend our abilities? How do we spend our time? There's a lot here in verses 1 through 6. Begin to work that into your heart. This idea of how do you hold your treasure? Do you hold it loosely? Which again means holding it. Enjoy it. But do you, are you ready to give it if need be? And then number two, also remember Christ gave His life. Right? He was rich and became poor for us. This should help us when we understand how we interact with other people. Let me pray.